We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to Brick and Buzz. I'm Nick Faye. With me as always, Jack Manuel and regular guest on the show, Justin Thomas of Nets Republic. Fellas, how we doing? Big three, baby. <laughs> there you go. This is, this is, it's, it doesn't happen often. I think I'm, I have to be Ben Simmons by proxy, you know, Australian, flaky, you know, <laughs> ruggishly handsome, has a gorgeous girlfriend. I'll give, uh, Nick, I reckon you're a KD kind of guy and Justin just gives me some, some Kyrie vibes. You just... He's a creative thinker, obviously. Some of the stuff that he puts out for Nets Republic as well, what he puts out on the timeline. You know, Nets Republic's doing some great things there. And, you know, the leadership, the co-management with Justin is, is a big part of that. Yeah, I think that's spot on. I'll take Katie any day of the week. But uh, before, we, <laughs> before we jump into a quick reminder, you check the buzz on all stream platforms. But, Jack, where do you want to start? I think we start with some more assistant coaching news, which is how the offseason generally tends to go. And, Via Mark Stein, who reported, obviously, but we discussed just a couple of days ago, Nick, about David Vanderpool and some of the other guys who won't be coming back. Apparently, Adam Harrington, Annette's Director of Development uh, and longtime friend of Kenny, is also gone. Um, it, it more, and the moves are apparently, quote, unexpected. Justin, where do you stand with these assistant coaching merry-go-rounds and you know, KD's guy being gone. Does that mean KD's out the door and he's going to want to go to Miami and we've got to watch for Bam and Abayo in the playoffs? Where do you, what are you thinking, mate? Come on, give us some, you're a rational thinker. <laughs> give me some rationality, please. I, I, I try my best to be as objective and rational as possible. I mean, I think this just kind of quells the whole like, oh, the superstars run the organization, KD runs the organization. Because if that was the case, you know, his his assistant coaches, you know, quote unquote, wouldn't be leaving. Um, I think, you know, sometimes it's much to do about nothing with assistant coaches leaving. Every, so, you know, people just like players leaving free agency, assistant coaches have things in their lives. Maybe this isn't the right spot. I mean, taxes are crazy in New York. Um, you know, maybe a better opportunity, a more advanced role somewhere else, et cetera, et cetera. But I mean, it just doesn't make any sense to be cleaning house with the assistants when the head coach is there. It, it almost feels like trying to put um you know, band-aids on a, uh, on a sinking Rock ship. Yeah. yeah. Like it, it doesn't make much sense. If you're going to clean house with the assistants, you might as well just clean house with, uh, Steve Nash, because now it's almost like, all right, well, who are the assistants that are coming in? Is it Nash's guys? Is it Marx's guys? Like, like what, is, what, what are we doing here? 
Yeah, I think that's an interesting point, especially what you said at the end, Justin, is, you know, who is coming in? Who are going to be the hires? Is it Steve Nash's opportunity to bring in guys that he specifically wants? And because it could be his obviously last run, his seat is hot. Is it Sean Mark saying, like, my seat's hot? I want to bring in my own assistant coaches to help Nash kind of get to that next level. I think definitely changes on the assistant coaching staff was something that was bound to happen, especially if they weren't changing out Steve Nash. They needed to kind of bring in some different voices and some different X's and O's because whatever they had last year really wasn't, you know, hitting, you know, on multiple levels from the rotation to the X's and O's to the system. So I'm not really surprised by the changes. I am a little surprised with Adam Harrington being one of them just because, like you guys mentioned, his ties to Kevin Durant. And he just seems like a very lovable guy in the Nets organization and somebody who's always kind of spoken highly about by, you know, former players or, you know, guys that have been around the Nets organization. So that that was strange, but the overall change is not really surprised because last year, you know, there was pretty much three or four swaps swap outs anyway. Yeah, I think we wanted changes in the first place. Yeah. I think that there was there change is good be, sometimes. Change is good a lot of the time. <laughs> it's it's about how the changes are made and what changes in particular are made. So I think we'll analyze this once we know the names that are going to be there. You know, is it Lloyd Pierce, James Borrego, you know, all the sort of rumors that we sort of heard, Jared Dudley, who I, we have no idea. And I think that, you know, you guys pointed to the fact that the guy that's at the the head of the ship, you know, the, the captain of it all, Steve Nash, is the guy that should be, you know, obviously you know, hearing that they're unexpected. So I think the nature of the decision-making that's happening is a little surprising because, yeah, I think we all want to change. We all want to, like, you know, get Mike, guys like Mike D'Antoni into the fold, get, like, an, an MA Udoka-style sort of guy, an experienced assistant who just knows how to, you know, run a bit of defense and, and those sort of things. But it's just like... If if people are shocked about it, then you know the way that Sean Marks is handling these things, or Joe Sy or Steve Nash, whoever else it might be, it, it just it just points to to further issues within the franchise and probably communication issues, which is something that we've said that the Nets have had plenty of problems with, even you know since Sean Marks did enter the helm. We've been fans of his over the tenure, but communication has always been a tentpole that has been incredibly frustrating for fans, and and it seems even internally that that's the case as well. So. I don't know where to stand about it. You know, Steve Nash, obviously. I I think that the reason why Steve Nash is is just a, a, escaping accountability is because this was Sean. This might be Sean Marks's biggest decision as a general manager, other than signing Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. I don't know. And maybe that's a bit rash for me to say because you're talking about firing Adam Harrington. No, I'm talking about uh, uh, signing signing Steve Nash. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I think so. I think Steve Nash, I mean, it's the most impactful move either in a negative or a positive way. And when, even when they signed it, we said it was kind of like the home run swing. It wasn't the safe bet of getting a coach that's already experienced. It's like Steve Nash could work out really, really well or he could work out really, really poorly. You know, year one went pretty well. Last year went pretty poorly. So this is kind of like, are we going to get some semblance of balance this year? Is it going to be mediocre or is it going to be back to being good? I'm not really sure. Justin, do you think that it, this could go down as one of Sean Marks' worst decisions as the general manager, the hiring of Steve Nash? Uh, I mean, it, I think the jury's still out. You know, I guess we're kind of stuck with that decision. I mean, if they if the Nets win a championship next season, then it's like, oh, wow, well, maybe Nash was the right guy. But yep. The longer you go without even sniffing, I mean, at least at this point, the conference finals, right? Um, then the, the the questions just are going to keep arising. Um, you know, I think we were all surprised at the 
decision to hire Steve Nash because it just felt like kind of out of the blue. I mean, we were all talking about, oh, Greg Pop to BK, you know, yep. so, you know. So and then the, you get the Steve Nash news and it's like, um, OK, where did this come from? Uh, I'm also interested to see in terms of like you, you saw like so Amari Stoudemire is is no longer with them. Uh, Steve Clifford was with them at the beginning of the season, like way back when I know he had kind of left. I'm kind of interested to see like how like the structure in terms of assistant coaches and, and, and consultants and things like that shape out for next season, because I would personally love it if they got an experienced coach or somebody with coaching experience to be put on the staff just to advise Nash. Um, you know, you see that with even in, in uh, with the Warriors, right, with uh, Mike Brown. Yep. He's been with Steve Kerr for how long? And he was the coach of, uh, you know, and he was a coach in the, in, in the past. So, you know, there's it's, it's a lot of big decisions coming up. Uh, it, unfortunately, the jury is still out with Nash. Me personally, I'm not a big fan of him. Um, he just He just does a lot of hair-pulling things throughout the course of a game, throughout the course of a season where you're like, all right, a five-year-old can make this, you know, decision. Why, why, why are you not doing it? Why are we playing? I'm still not over the fact that at one point we were playing James Johnson, Andre Drummond, I think Nick Claxton at the same damn time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, man. All you can do is laugh. All you can do is laugh. Yeah, right? Or, or clap. Laugh or clap or cry, or, but you can't, you can't change it, unfortunately. And I think that – you know, we heard KD, you know, in the, the recent David Letterman episode that was released, you know, the, the big quote about it was, you know, what does a, a head coach need to do? Manage personalities. And maybe that Sean Marks' reason for hiring Steve Nash was the fact that Steve Nash is known to manage personalities in his tenure with, you know, Phoenix and, and his history of being around Sean Marks. And, you know, if that's all he needs to do. But I, I think it's a... It's a little bit reductive for, you know, managed personalities is part of it. You know, I think Doc Rivers is probably the guy that's made a history out of managing personalities the best. And, you know, maybe Phil Jackson to a lesser extent because he's also, you know, a pretty great X's and O's coach in you know the histories in the 80s and 90s. So I think that, you know, a guy I'd like to see, I'll just throw some names out there because, you know, net spaces can do it. We've got a podcast. <laughs> we can put it out there as well. I'd like to see a Dave Yeager, you know, a, a guy be considered as well. You know, he's in Philadelphia alongside – at Doc Rivers, and I think his history with Memphis, as well as at Sacramento and, and other teams, I think he's a guy that I think could, you know, he's not Mike D'Antoni. I think Mike D'Antoni is the guy that we want to see, you know, probably come back, but I think that that is incredibly unlikely, and it's more likely to see him in Philadelphia as a head coach than return to Brooklyn as an assistant coach of some sort. But, yeah, we, we spoke about, like, Lloyd Pierce, James Borrego, those sort of guys, but if we're talking about experience, whether I think Justin is right – which I think is needed, you know, and then some, you know, Ime Yudoka and Mike D'Antoni is two of the, probably the best assistant coaches that you can have, you know, under you and, you know, two of the, you're one of the best uh, head coaches in the NBA right now and one of the great head coaches to never win, you know, a, an NBA championship. You know, I'm not saying Dave Yeager is in that same kettle of fish, but I think that there are some similar qualities and I'm not sure, you know, Nick, Justin, what you guys think of that. I'm just throwing names out there for the sake of it, I guess. Well, we were making the joke, I think even Nets Twitter last year that it was like, you know, the best assistant coaching staff you could possibly have. I mean, it, it, there was a ton of good good guys on that. You know, Yudoka, obviously, was doing great with Boston. D'Antoni, like you mentioned, a ton of success. Even Vaughn, you know, had done some things and has plenty of experience in the league. And like you said, Jack, I think definitely getting guys with experience is huge. I'd love a guy like Frank Vogel who could come in and, you know, help with the defense and just has, you know, that experience with superstar players as well. So, 
I mean, there's going to be a lot of different options. And like we kind of talked about in the past and a pretty common thing is like new head coaches are going to be brought into different places and then those staffs are going to be broken up. And then maybe that's an opportunity for the Nets to get a guy like Phil Handy, who is part of the Lakers staff and has been tied to, you know, the Nets before and tied to Kyrie Irving. Yeah, it's interesting because as well with Vogel, as you mentioned, I think it would be a great name as well. Under him, he had you know Jason Kidd. He had um, David Fisdale, those sort of guys. And Lionel were, Hollins, Lionel Hollins, consistent rumblings around him about the fact that those guys were he, he was you know uh, he was waited to be to get fired so Jason Kidd could just take his job. <laughs> we could see the same thing and the same uh, similar scenario happen in Brooklyn with Steve Nash. And you know I don't think Lionel Hollins is going to be coming back to Brooklyn. <laughs> I, uh, hope not. <laughs> I, I very much hope not as well. But we could see a Fisdale. We could see you know a Jaeger. We could see a um, uh, Frank Vogel, these sort of guys. I, I think as well, on, on Frank Vogel, as well as he's, uh, I think he's a very good head coach, I think he's an incredible defensive coach, which yep. is, I think, where the Nets do lack some some nous ever since M.A. Udoka did leave. I think he provides a level of flexibility. And they did have, you know, decent defensive, you know, players in, in L.A. compared to the Nets, I think, who do have some okay defensive players as well and some pieces that I think Vogel would be able to utilize well. But I know any names, Justin, that stick out to you or any sort of things, you know, around this assistant coaching ranks that, you know, Nick and I, it feels like this is going to be the, the topic of the off season <laughs> other than, you know, trades and Ben Simmons and Kyrie Irving. It's going to be assistant coaches. Who would have thought? So, yeah, I mean, I guess going down the rabbit hole, let's just see what uh, Avery Johnson's doing. <laughs> oh, you know, come on. <laughs> you know, I know he's, I know he's got a contract with CBS. I mean, you know who I actually did think about before he got uh he got, actually got moved up in his role was uh uh Alvin Gentry. Yeah. Um, I I thought he could be a pretty good addition to the the staff because it's not, you know like you always have that fear of like oh like a, a younger or rookie head coach and you put a more experienced guy there he's just kind of waiting in the shadows where it's like in this situation I don't think that would have been the case it's just a case of like yo just go help Steve <laughs> in any yeah. way you can and we'll pay you a lot um, of money. Yeah, exactly. So, like, I really haven't put too much thought into, like, assistant coaches because, like, why do we ever really need to worry about assistant coaches? Um, you know, I know they're they're important, definitely. But in the grand scheme of things, it's, I feel like we focus way more on, like, the personnel on the floor than the personnel that's sitting on the bench. I think the reason why I focus on it is because, like we've discussed about our head coach, because our head coach is so inept that we need <laughs> to focus on the assistant coaches, which is something that we shouldn't be saying. We should be you know, confident when going that the third highest paid coach in the NBA should be good enough <laughs> to lead us to a championship with, you know, whoever the hell is is behind him. Yes, and I, I understand. You know, Doc Rivers is probably overpaid as well, and and Greg Popovich, you know, isn't the best coach in the NBA anymore. But those guys have won championships. Nick Nurse won championships. Ty Lue won championships. So, you know, that that, that article, that screenshot is going to haunt me for a very, very long time. <laughs> but, you know, I will eat the humble pie that I have yet to eat. And I'll have to reorder a, a pie on DoorDash delivery, wherever d- delivery app that you got to do, if Steve Nash proves me wrong. But, you know, I don't know what which pie I'm going to eat. I, I'm, I'm hoping to be more proven wrong by Ben Simmons and, and him coming back and, and fitting and firing. But... Man, yeah, this is why we're focusing on assistant coaches. I, I think it's because our head coach is, is shit. <laughs> I don't like that, 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 I can't put it any more blatant and and succinctly than that. Yeah, I think obviously though, if if Ben were to come back and play really well, and the Nets make a whole bunch of roster moves, you kind of forget about some of the coaching stuff because talent can just outweigh that. But again, like you said, you know, 
Nash needs support. And I think even like talking about some of the comments from Iron Eagle and saying, you know, Nash is kind of learning on the go and Nash would even tell you that, like understanding that he's not perfect and where he's at right now. And I would say, you know, uh, I think an easy favorite would be Lloyd Pierce as a candidate to replace Adam Harrington as a player development guy, given his history and how where he how he got his first coaching job was based off player development. And we know he has a relationship with Steve Nash. So if they're bringing in, quote unquote, Nash guys, I would feel like Pierce would be one of those guys. And I think I also think that seeing Jason Kidd have some success in Dallas while you know, we all have a complicated relationship with Jason Kidd for some way or another as Nets fans. And I, I think that that's almost a good thing because growth. Jason Kidd, uh, growth, you know, it's it's growth as the, the old insecure <laughs> gif. Great gif, by the way. Great show as well. Didn't end great, but um, it was a, a, a fantastic show. So I think that that has to fill you with a level of hope that, you know, if Jason Kidd, who even mid-season was criticized for you know, the, the way he was coaching Luca and that team overall, if he can, you know, be one of the four best coaches left or one of the four remaining coaches in, you know, vying for a championship, look, you look at Emma Yudoka, Eric Spolstra, Steve Kerr. If Steve Kerr, Jason Kidd, that's where you sort of see the, the mold of Steve Nash turning into. But again, Steve Kerr is one of the most, innov- not innovative, but one of the most succinct and stylistic, you know, he's a style of, of schemes that have on the offensive side of the floor that we've seen for a very, very long time. And Steve Nash certainly does not have that. He manages personalities, as as Katie likes to say. So, but maybe we, you get a little bit optimistic about that. I don't know, Justin. Am I being you know a, a pessimist? Uh, I don't think so. You know, it, it's interesting, right? Because Kid had his tenure with the Nets, right? Didn't go so well, and then also we know about his tenure in Milwaukee. Um, say what you want about that. You know, and Giannis talks very highly of Kid, but you know the results just didn't match it. Now in his Thurston as a coach, it's working very, very well in Dallas. I do remember the, the you know, the rumblings earlier in the season about like, oh, is kid the right fit for it? Uh, we see that. And also, I don't think people remember, maybe they're just forgetting, Ime Adoka was under a lot of fire in the first two months of the season yeah. for the Celtics, especially after their loss against the Knicks, where I think RJ Barrett hit like that buzzer beater three from, uh, yep. from like the wing. And everybody was like, yo, the Celtics are in trouble. And, and he was like publicly calling players out. Yeah, he was, but they righted the ship once yep. once the calendar turned. They became obviously the hottest team in the league, uh, and so forth and so forth. Uh, with Steve Kerr, right? It's not like he took over a ready-made championship team, right? Yes, they were good because you know, like you give credit to Mark Jackson and what he did. It helps having the greatest shooter of all time. It helps having the second greatest shooter of all time, <laughs> and just obviously one of the best floor generals ever in in, in Draymond Green, but the pressure wasn't there for Steve Kerr to just come and win the way Steve Nash is, right? You have Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, two guys that have won championships before. This is a championship caliber, you know, situation, regardless of how you look at it. So yeah, there's a lot of pressure, but at the same time, you kind of don't want to hear the fact of, Oh, he's learning on the fly. Cause like, I don't care that he's learning on the fly. I want, I want results. I want championships as a fan. Championship windows don't last. You know, it can really just swoop up real quick. And obviously, you know, Katie's not going to be, you know, in his prime forever. So you need to take advantage of that. And that's, I think, getting back to the point we were talking about earlier, you know, hiring Steve Nash was a huge risk because you had no idea in which way it would go. And, you know, this third year, I think, will give us a great idea. He's had opportunities to grow. Last year, obviously, 
everything bad that could happen happened and more. So some of, you know, he could probably get a little bit of pass on some things, but overall, I think from the top to the bottom of the Nets organization, there has to be a better plan. And that goes from, you know, the scheme, the system to the idea of the rotations. What do we hear all year long? You know, this it's like training camp for this team. It's like training camp for this team. They're still learning on the go. We don't know who we are. And that was, that was up to the last week of the season. There needs to be like some set plan in place for them to actually have goals to achieve. Yeah, I think that we had our issues with Steve Nash in his first season, but the on-court product was fine. You know, and I think a lot of that was because, you know, obviously you had James Harden, you know, pr- pretty healthy. And, you know, the, the the sample size that we saw of the big three was, was tremendous. And, yep. you know, th- those three guys just had an innate chemistry and, and an offensive weaponry. You know, Joe Harris was, was fit and healthy as well. Blake was, was fit and firing. So I think that Justin did allude to it as well. If we see, you know, a, a fit and healthy roster, maybe that, you know, will 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 exceed the 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 weaknesses that Steve Nash has as a head coach because Kevin Durant is so great, Kyrie Irving is so great. When those guys are available, they can win you 50 games, you know, in their sleep and if you get Ben Simmons healthy, you might push 55-60. So, hopefully the, I think the bill and end all is that we we have a healthy fit and healthy roster, but it's also going to be up to Sean Marks and Steve Nash to at least do something close to what their jobs are in terms of one building the roster and one building an on court product and and rotation and schemes X's and O's those sort of things that can allow the guys to succeed when they are out there. So I think our confidence has waned, and I think it's it's waned rightly so. Some of the criticism might be a little bit unjustified, especially from me. Um, every single second night, third night, whatever it might be uh, around Mr. Stephen the Canadian. But you know, I also think that my prisoner of the moment stuff is I also do – I'm not as rational as you and Justin, Nick, but I do also think that I do give credit where credit is due. So I'm hoping that I get to give plenty of credit to, to Sean Marks with this offseason uh, and Steve Nash with you know the, the season going forward. But you know I, I have my reservations. Yeah. And I mean, I think anytime you have disappointment and you're looking for someone to step up and put guys, you know, there wasn't much room for error last year, you know, with the injuries and the rotation and the roster, you needed Nash to do certain things and he just didn't do them. Like Justin pointed out earlier, there was just some obvious stuff that took a little bit too long. You know, even just the most obvious thing in the playoff series was starting Andre Drummond off four games. You know, that's something going into the series. A lot of us had concerns with, and it was kind of like, you know, roll them out for game one, see what happens. All right, it's not going to work. You know, go to clacks, go to some other things. And Nash really didn't get creative, especially given he was, you know, being, they were losing all the games. They got swept. You know, there wasn't an opportunity for, oh, like this is really working. We're going to win. No, we didn't win one game. Yeah, exactly. Justin, any final coaching thoughts before we dive into the rookies and your rookie piece at Nets Republic? Uh, I mean, I guess just got to kind of agree with you and just, you hope you eat your words. You know, like we 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 hope we're wrong about Nash uh, and that he does end up figuring it out because I'd much rather be wrong about Steve Nash than being right. Because if if we're right about him, then that means it's, it's just another year wasted, another two years wasted. You know, Kevin Durant's getting older. Kyrie Irving is gonna is getting older. Um, we have an ever changing world. We, I mean, apparently we got monkeypox now in New York, so I don't even know. Like, we might go back onto quarantine, and who knows what what uh, Eric Adams is going to do. So, just a lot of things going on that we can't afford to be right about Nash. Yeah. 
Definitely. Let's get jump into the rookies because I think that your article was awesome, Justin. You, you you really dived through some some really nice analysis while also the great eye test as well. Which rookie did you do you want to discuss first? Because I think that oh, there, there there's intriguing elements to all of them and, and how they could contribute going forward to this team and whether they are with this team going forward, as you also uh, touched on in your piece. Who do you want to start with? We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic. Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Uh, I guess we'll start with the appetizer, the person I spoke the least about. Um, we start with David Duke Jr. Um, I personally, I, I like David Duke Jr. I watched him a, a little bit in uh, when he was at Providence. Um, liked his game, but I think it was more so a college game. You know, like he, it, it's a good game. Like his game is good for college. It, it's going to get you points. It's going to, it's going to do what you need to do to win. It doesn't really translate to the pros, and we kind of saw that. I mean, he couldn't shoot a, a three-pointer to save his life. I mean, shooting under 37% from the field in general is just not good. Uh, you know, he's a solid defender. I'll give him that. Like, there was never a time where I thought, dang, like, you know, he's kind of a turnstile. Always gave you effort. Um, but he kind of falls into that range of a short guy, right? He's 6'4". Yeah. He's the same size as Cam Thomas, same size as Bruce Brown, you know, an inch taller than Kyrie. But he doesn't do anything offensively that merits you keeping him around and his defense isn't locked down enough where it's like, all right, I can really see him being a, a contributor to this team, to, you know, for next year and years to come. Yeah. I he, he lacks that like elite skill. You know, he lacks that thing where you're like, wow, that really pops. That's going to get him on the court. He's okay to below average at a lot of different things. The one thing I think he is, you know, elite at, he has a great motor plays with great energy. Like you said, defensively, 
has shown some flashes. Just the effort level is really high. And then, you know, the rebounding on offensive rebounding, he's had some pop in different situations. Like you mentioned, the shooting looked better in college and didn't translate in the NBA. Maybe that's something he can develop. But I think where he's at and where he can get to next season, you definitely question his roster spot for next year. He's a guy that probably is going to be fighting for an NBA spot or another two-way contract. He just needs more development. I think he could turn into an okay role player, but it's not going to happen probably in 2022 or 2023. He just needs a lot of game reps, and honestly, the G League is probably a great place for him to get those reps. Yeah, and Summer League. You know, I thought yeah. that he'd, uh, he'll be in, in that the- Summer League. Yeah, and the moments that we saw him in, in that summer league, you know, he was he was pretty positive when, when he had the ball in his hands. It's obviously, uh, it, it's reductive to say, but if you are a role player of some sort, you need to hit the three ball, you know, yeah. or you need to be so good at something else that it takes a, you know, it, it overtakes your your lack of three point shooting. And you know, his rebounding for me is the skill that does stick out to him, and that relates to what Nick and and Justin are saying about you know his motor, his athleticism, his ability to sort of get back and forth. I think he's a decent defender as well, and I think he's got some growth there too. Um, I think that you know he's sort of got. You know, if you were to say he's not Jose Alvarado, but he's got that sort, those sort of like hustle vibes. Agree, yeah, yeah, he's gritty as hell, like Javon Carter sort, sort of vibes. That that sort of thing, where you know, in a playoff series, hypothetically, what's his role? Because that's what we think about these sort of guys. You know, I could see him guarding, you know, Steph Curry, ninety-four feet, and getting in his face, Luka Doncic, those sort of guys. But again, his size. It seems to me that. The Nets have a lot of, you know, of the the draft that they did have, they have guys waiting in the wings. If things were to go poorly in contract negotiations, Darren Sharp, Nick Claxton, David Duke Jr., Bruce Brown, uh, and Cam Thomas is just, he's an enigma unto himself. So I think that that's, I'm I'm hopeful because I'm I'm a bit more of an optimist about the the rookies. um, And, you know, development can, can be a weird and wacky thing. You could... We could see David Duke Jr. come back next year and shoot, you know, thirty-seven percent from the three-point line on, on a volume that Kessler Edwards sort of have, which is the reason why he was so valuable to this team. If there was a point in the season, we'll get to Kess in a little bit. The reason why he was so great for us is because his three-point shooting, which we had questions about when we were doing, you know, some draft shows and when you know Justin was doing some content as well around that, it was just like, wait, can this guy, you know, is that three-point shot translatable to the NBA? And it is. You know, it's obviously going to have its ups and downs. It's going to be inconsistent, but you know, he shot a really decent clip, and there was a point in time where he was, you know, one of the three, the rookie leaders in three-point shooting, you know, alongside Kate Cunningham. So, David Duke Jr., if he can get. If we see, and, and, and maybe like you, I want to saw, I, I don't care what Cam Thomas can do. I don't need to see him lead the team, you know, at Summer League. I want to see David Duke Jr. with the same sort of, lay, um, the, the same sort of responsibilities and just going, you know, DDJ, do your thing, mate. You know, I, I, we want you to see if you can run the show. Can you create your own shot? Can you create for others? Um, and sort of just throw him out there into the wolves and, and see if he sinks or swim. Um, again, I'll probably combine about four analogies there. Um, <laughs> but, it, but in saying that, I think that's where you know, Desmond Bain, you know, had an incredible summer league, and what we're seeing from him now, you know, he's contributing, you know, to uh, he contributed to a meaningful postseason run for a, for a young and up and coming team. I'm not saying David Duke Jr. can do that, but again, I'm just sort of trying to find some similarities where you know David Duke Jr. could be you know a credible NBA player, whether that's for the Nets or, or somewhere else. So look. I don't think he he's long for the Nets. I, I I agree with that, but maybe he's long for the Long Island Nets. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely like you said, Jackie. There's an opportunities for him, and I think summer league to develop some of these skills and maybe see if there's more there. But at the end of the day, him getting on an NBA court is going to be about a three point shot. 
And if he can get that to a you know a league average, he has a chance. But if not, that's always going to kind of hold him back because he just doesn't necessarily have those other elite skills that are going to get you on the floor. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, his game, to me, he kind of almost reminds me of like David Nwaba, like almost like mm-hmm. similar body type, same phys- almost same physique, very athletic, you know, can get up there and bang with the best of them. Uh, but Nwaba did make his three point shots, you know, in the, in the small amount of time he was with the Nets before, you know, his his, his leg injury. Um, he, he did make a respectable amount of three point shots. I think that's maybe where David Duke Jr.'s ceiling could be. Um, it's just almost kind of weird because it feels like he's like a tweener. He's at a weird spot where he's not a ball handler per se. Um, he's not a shooter, uh, but he's still in that like kind of shooting guards type body. So yeah. it, it his, his his fit right now is still kind of weird. Like he's a he's a basketball player, right? We know like he gets on the floor, he can he can do some things, but he doesn't do enough things well that it translates to not to say winning basketball, but being a a key member on a winning team. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you mentioned your piece, you know, like he's similar to Bruce Brown in ways and he doesn't necessarily have, you know, the differences that Bruce has in his game that allow him to kind of get on the floor. You know, it's just that's going to hold you back. I mean, and you can only have so many of those guys. We learned that lesson this year in the playoffs. (laughs) (laughs) Like you can only have so many guys that can't shoot threes, especially when they're already undersized. So, you know, like Jack said, I don't think he'll be with the Nets, but I hope he can have an NBA career in some way. And one thing I will say that will hopefully allow that to happen is I think he's got a really good attitude. You know, I think that, you know, he seems really coachable. You know, he's when he's out there on the bench with the team, you know, he's tweeting about the Nets and, and that sort of thing. So he seems to have a, a real buy in and you know, he seems to have that sort of chip on your shoulder, chip on your shoulder mentality as well, which always is a sort of bit of an F you like, you know, I'm, I'm not going to change my name. You know, you, you change your name. You know, he should change his name. I, I, I like his attitude. I like his personality. So hopefully that holds him in good stead for hopefully a, a long NBA career in some form or fashion. Agreed. Who should we jump into next, Mr. Thomas? Uh, you know what? Let's just go. I'm going to go reverse order of uh, my article. So let's next person, Dayron Sharp, um, Day Day. I personally, I love Dayron Sharp. I love his motor. I love his like his greediness. I said in the article, I was like, he's always smiling on the bench. But once he gets in the game, like it's just all business, right? Like he's not to be messed with. We saw a few times this season where he was going toe to toe with, you know, some of the more, you know, grizzled vets. In the league, I mean, he was giving it to you. I remember the one uh, game specifically in uh, Portland where he was giving it to to Nurkic a little bit. Uh, so he he's got a fight to him that that the Nets desperately need. There's not a lot of guys that we can really point to that say like, oh yeah, he, he's a dog. Like he, he's gonna fight. He's he's gonna do all the little things. Scrappiness. Um, he does that. He rebounds phenomenally. I mean, I know I put in the piece, but the hundredth percentile in offensive rebounding oh. percentage. I think he was 84th percentile in offensive uh, rebounding percentage for free throws. Uh, so he just has a nose for the ball. He's big in in terms of like girth wise, right? 265. He's only 6'9", right? But 265 is right around the the, the same weight class as uh, Rudy Gobert, right? A uh, uh, Clint Capella, right? A Hassan Whiteside. So he's got the size to bang down low. Now, does he have the height? Maybe not. Uh, but there's a lot. of he, He's raw. But there's a lot of things to like about Dayron Sharp's game. 
Yeah, I mean, he moves humans. Like, he really moves bodies down low, and that's something it's rare to say for a rookie. You know, he came in, and he looked just as strong as a lot of other NBA centers. And like you said, I think at, at times he definitely had issues with length, you know, needs to work on that pump fake a little bit. And I think the biggest question mark for Dayron Sharp is going to be defense. You know, if can he play defense at a high level or a level that can just keep him on the floor? Because like you said, you love the rebounding, especially when you're rebounding the ball offensively at that rate. It's insane. His touch was better than I anticipated. And obviously we've heard the rumblings about him developing a three-point shot. So for him, I think the biggest growth it has to be really defense and then after that you know what other offensive impact can you have because even as a screener he's pretty good he just needs a little bit more polish there just given his size he's just a big body to kind of get around so for me it's just like what can dayron do defensively and i think honestly that's going to dictate his nba career yeah, those two threes that he hit this year were maybe the two of the best highlights that we've seen from the Nets regular <laughs> season. Your Nets were erupted. I wanted to throw out, I was thinking about this question. I've been thinking about it for a bit ever since we decided to do this with Justin. Justin, who would you rather be on the Nets roster next season if you could only have one? Dayron Sharp or Andre Drummond? Oh, that's tough. I mean, it's a hard question. It's hard only because, like, we still don't know what we have with Dayron, right? Like you don't know, like it could either be, this could either be the best you get from Dayron or the sky's limit for the kid. We know what we're going to get from Drummond. The problem is we know what we're going to get from Drummond, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. And I like, don't like it. <laughs> and I don't, I don't like the fact that we can go into a game and on any given night, he can give you, you know, 14 and 18, but then for two or three straight games, he's giving you eight and four, right? Yeah. For in, a whole playoff 20, series, he's giving you 10. Yeah. Yeah, for in like 27, 28 minutes per game. So, you know, it, it is interesting of note. Dayron Sharp is the only big on the Nets roster currently under contract right now. And Andre Drummond has said that he is, you know, he doesn't know if his future is with Brooklyn. So if the Nets want to tote out Dayron and Clax is their front line, hey, I'm not, I won't be mad at it, you know, because there's only so many times you can watch a guy you know, for as good of a motor as Dayron Sharp has, that's how bad of a motor Andre Drummond has. Yeah. Um, it, it's just, it's infuriating. And I know me and Nick have talked about it on the pod, you know, after post games. And I think after the playoffs as well, especially game four, what was it? He started the game, played three minutes and was just yeah. benched for the, for the rest of the game. So you can't keep having guys like that, that just only want to, you know, we talk about Kyrie as a part-time player. Andre Drummond be a part-time player too, sometimes with the way he's just out there trying to collect a check and get cardio. So <laughs> and it's it's a it's a tough question. If gun to my head, I'd say Dayron Sharp. Um, you know, just because I'd rather go with a guy that's gonna give me 110% every single night. Yeah, I can live with those mistakes than a guy that's gonna make mistakes and also not give me energy as well. Yeah, I mean, I just don't want Andre Drummond back on the Nets. It's really that simple. <laughs> I mean, we watched him try to tip a pass to Steph, uh, Steph Curry, uh, Seth Curry in the corner. We watched him tip the ball to Marcus Smart for open threes. He just... He's just not a guy you want on the team. And honestly, I could see some of the comments that Sean Marks made about, you know, wanting selfless players and guys that, you know, want to play for the team being targeted at him because he's lazy. Like, there's just issues. Like, you know, when Sarah Kustak is calling you out on the broadcast saying that you're not doing enough, 
that you're you're really screwing up because she doesn't want to say negative things about yeah, she loves everybody she <laughs> loves <laughs> everybody so if she's saying you know like he's got to do more on some of his you know coverages in the pick and roll then just his skill set just isn't a great fit with this team if ben's going to be here just because of his lack of offensive game outside of a layup or a dunk and yeah he had a couple post moves but defensively he's such a negative that i just don't think you can afford to have that so i'd keep the roster spot sign another vet and then see what Dayron can do. I, I don't think I'd want Dayron to be the backup center going into next season, but I think regardless, there's always opportunities for him to play and maybe earn that opportunity down the line. You definitely want to bring in some level of veteran, you know, even if it's just a minimum guy. Yeah, I don't want the Nets to spend a lot of money on whatever center it is. If, it, if obviously, I think Clack should be the highest paid center on the Nets roster, unless, unless they make a trade for a, a more premium Rudy Gobert or something. You know, obviously, I don't. Miles Turner, whatever else. Um, Miles Turner, the new Aaron Gordon to, to Brooklyn Nets fans. But in saying that, uh, we, we're seeing, you know, in the postseason right now, unless you are a Draymond Green or Robert Williams, these sort of guys, unless you give something so good to the team, centers barely matter. And, and they're you know, both really versatile, both guys exactly. you mentioned. Exactly, and and you know, the net the best version of the Nets is probably Ben Simmons at the five, um, even though we don't even have any idea what that does look like. But you know, Katie and Clax, we, we can certainly envision that. We've seen very positive glimpses of that. And Sean Max also did prioritize, you know, the physicality was was yep. key with him. Darren Sharp gives you that in spades, and he's doing that as a you know, first season rookie. You know, he's only going to get more physical. He's only going to be able to feel that into his body even more, and probably gain more smart physicality, if that makes any sort of sense, and just you know, not give away those sort of dumb fouls. I think that at the end of the day, for a center, you need to be a credible or above average defender to be playable in the playoffs in some form or fashion, whether it's as a backup. You know, Even Hassan Whiteside was getting some spare minutes here or there for the Utah Jazz because he looked okay defensively in comparison to some of his days in Portland and the latter days you know, in Miami. Can Darren Sharp get to that stage? You know, I, I love, you know, I, I spoke about attitude uh, when it came to, to David Jr. You know, Darren Sharp has a hell of an attitude yeah. and you know, an infectious personality. You know, when we're seeing like bench celebrations and stuff, Darren Sharp's one of the, the number one guys there, the complete opposite of the the stoic Mr. Cam Thomas. So I, I'm super intrigued to what Darren Sharp can provide th- this team, you know, in a, in a lot of different fashions. You know, the three ball. You know, he's a, and obviously, you know, the rebounding numbers that Justin alluded to are, are, are truly insane. You know, they are Andre Drummond level re- rebounding numbers, but your know, rebounding doesn't necessarily, you know, Boardman gets paid, but Boardman gets paid how much? Boardman yeah. can get paid if he, you know, is a decent enough defender. And, you know, he sort of said, you know, in that sort of Mike Schmidt thing when Nick and I were, you know, talking about the, uh, the selection that, you know, he thinks he can be a switchable defender. But I think it, it's interesting because, how how much more switchable can you become? I think that earlier in your in your career is when you can sort of develop it, because by you know your season five, season six, your habits are sort of set in stone. Can yeah. he be like you know Vika Zupac, you know Isaiah Hartenstein, these sort of guys where you know he's not not awful, but he's playable. And I think that you know how how movable are his hips? Where's his sort of hips rotation and flexibility at? You know, he's not going to be Maxi Kleber. He's not going to be Nick Claxton uh, by any stretch of the imagination. But can he develop there? Because that to me could be as you know almost a, a an even bigger you know, a, a skill that he could have that could make him playable than that three point shot. Because you know we're seeing Clax play key rotation minutes despite the fact that he's one of the worst free throw shooters in the NBA because he's just so goddamn good defensively. I'm not saying Dayron Sharp has the same defensive upside, but I think the unknown of the defense 
Um, it could be it could go one way or another. Um, it could go badly, it could go poorly, it could go averagely, it could go awesomely. So that to me is the the really intriguing part. J- Justin, what did you see from him defensively? Are you you're more on the optimistic side of things, the pessimistic side of things, somewhere in the middle? Uh, I'm optimistic. I mean, he's he's a rookie, right? So there's definitely a lot of room to grow. Um, in the pick and roll, especially that's where his shortcomings really are. Um, you know, it's tough. And he even, he even alluded to it, you know, in interviews over the course of the season, like, yeah, it was, it was a different type of game, right? Like uh, in college and in the pros, like in the college, they dump it down in the post, you know, it's a lot of half court sets underneath three point line, whereas the NBA it's spaced out, right? Like everybody can shoot. You know, they're, they're doing high pick and rolls from like almost the, the, the midcourt line. Right. And he's not used to being dragged out, you know, 30, 35 feet from the basket. Right. Um, so that's where you can improve. Uh, you know, I think Nick had talked about it over the course of the season, just learning to use, to use his body. Right. Like he's yeah. he's big. He's a big guy. You don't have to jump sometimes. Right. Just stick your hands up. Um, and that and that that'll be enough of a contest. Uh, you know, he his size is his biggest strength. Yeah. And, you know, it's, you know, no pun intended, but, you know, he's, he's got to learn how to use that. Once he learns how to use that, I mean, it, the, he, 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 he can be good. He's not going to be switchable like Claxton. I think just that's just not his body type. Right. Like you don't really see guys of that size moving like that. But, you know, defensively, I, I, I think there's a lot of po- there's a lot of potential there. You know, I'm not saying in all NBA, uh, all defenses in his future, but he's definitely he definitely can be serviceable. I'm interested to see how much his body changes because even from when he was drafted until when he was playing, like in that game against Chicago, arguably his best game of the season, he was just, he looked thinner, like in a yeah, good he way. He looks like 10 kilos or something in between yeah. like the draft combine and to, you know, midway through the season. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see what the Nets want him to sort of look like and what he, you know, where, where he sort of feels at his best. Cause I remember hearing, there's so many varying reports about Chris Porzingis and what the team wanted him, his weight to be, and wanted he wanted his weight to be, where he felt sort of comfortable. That that's going to be an intriguing part because, as Justin alluded to, six nine, that's like Bam at a bio height. You know, yeah. he's not. You know, you're seven two, you know, Joel Embiid. You know, seven four. You know, Taco Fall. These sort of guys. He's a a more of a modern big in in terms of the size he does have. And also one thing that we haven't we didn't really see a lot from him other than probably in summer league he's got some great passing chops and yeah. i don't think that that's really you know going to be a, a massive thing but in terms of you know handoffs and and some high elbows sort of stuff you know that that could be something that, that we sort of see but uh, i think that's also something we haven't seen from clacks at all despite the fact that in college he was touted as as a pretty decent passer as well but i think Darren sharp has some has some nous there as well which you know I, I just like watching big uh big guys passing you know nicola Jokic, greatest big man passer that we've ever seen so that's always just really fun to watch so there are some some really intriguing things about king sharp and and hopefully we get to make that t-shirt soon if he's out there falling <laughs> for the nets uh, in 2022 2023 yeah i think he's a natural passer like even watching some of his highlights like making their read off the short roll and hitting the corner it wasn't something that was hard for him and he'll occasionally throw a pass that's like point guard level where you're just like oh damn like that's pretty impressive like you said that's not going to get him on the court but it's a plus if he does get back out there and i think you know, defensively too, is just like how much better is he going to get from experience? How much better can he potentially get from body changes and just understanding who he is in the NBA and what he can be good at? And also the Nets being better as a defensive unit. You know, 
if the whole team's not good at defense and one guy's not good at defense, it's always going to stick out more. So it's going to be interesting what type of position they kind of put him in and how much he can learn over one summer. And again, like, can he get more athletic? Like, I think, like Jack said earlier, is like you can do that early in your career, but then as soon as you hit 25, 26, you're not getting any quicker. In any final thoughts, Justin, before we get to the Kiss Express? Yeah, I think ideally what I would want to see from Dayron, at least to grow into, would almost be like a Jonas Valanciunas type mm-hmm. role, someone who is a big-bodied guy uh, who over the course of his career learned to shoot the outside jumper, right? Yeah. And, like, obviously it's not a it's not an automatic thing. Like, that he has his games where he just throws up brick after brick, but he makes just enough where you got to step up on it, yeah. right? Especially off the pick and roll, you know, we talked about how um, – Sharp is very good at setting screens. He sets solid screens. It's just going to free everybody up. If he can pop out, you know, the top of the key, you know, if he can hit maybe one a game, if he's getting like, you know, 17, 18 minutes a game, it's it'd be nice. You know, I'd, I'd love, obviously, I'm not going to expect a uh, Brooke Lopez type of improvement, you know, in, in Brooks like final years in, in Brooklyn. But look, if he could hit, you know, maybe like even like 30% from three, I, I think that's a plus, and I think that, that that go a long way in helping the Nets, who have been obviously starving for a big who could stretch the floor because I thought it was going to be Nick Claxton, but for some reason he doesn't want to take jump shots. Except for that one where he had that heave at the end of the quarter, which was yeah, like, right. wait, wait, what? Yeah. I think I was at that game as well. Was that yeah, the, it was uh, the first Cavs quarter against at the end of the played? first quarter against the Cavs. Yeah, that's right. That's <laughs> that right. was like the peak of the season right there for the postseason. Oh man. The, I mean, I was there. That's why. It was the peak of the season because yep. you know I was I was in the country. So So we can I, blame it, you for the sweep. No. <laughs> no, probably. I mean, I was in the country for, for half a for half of that series, to be totally fair. Um in saying that, it, it's intriguing because we're talking about when we spoke about David Duke Jr. as like a Bruce Brown replacement you know the nets uh, the nets have needed you know a, a sort of stretch big guy for a very very long time and there's just like is that the the is there one waiting in the wings for us you know we're going to be getting to kessler edwards in a little bit or is that the wing you know that the nets have been so sorely craving to sort of you know support kevin Durant in some form or fashion um, do the nets player development staff need to be really like you know get earning their paychecks in this offseason whoever whatever player development coach is still left you know we don't have any you know amari sodomize now gone and and you know it seems to me that he had a pretty positive impact on, on Nick Claxton other than you know, the free throw shooting but that's what Kyle Corver hopefully is still sticking around for so it's intriguing to see that the and I think when you've got you know three massive contracts in Ben Simmons, Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant the cost control of a rookie you know yeah. is something where and, and and the cost control of Kessler Edwards which I think is something that we can touch on as well you know he's a two-year contract but they can t- decline his second year player option and and maybe we sign to a four-year contract which I hope is is likely or, or could happen in a Lou Dortz or a Garrison Matthews sort of style and you know that would be uh, amazing and and I guess we'll get to Kessler Edwards uh, Justin I'll ask you I guess the big question overall because I, I tweeted out that I'm I'm so intrigued about what what he could be for this Nets team, you know, next season in 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 a make or break season for the for the franchise overall. Can you see him contributing in a postseason setting, you know, in 12 months' time for the Brooklyn Nets? Oh, absolutely. I I really I really do think I think if out of all the you know the four main rookies, I think he is the one that his future is most set in stone. At least in my opinion, uh, most set in stone with this team. I think he can be that contributor for the Nets in the playoffs. We saw him a little, he got, he got a taste of it uh, this season, you know, a little bit overwhelmed. It's, it, it's fine, right? You can't really kill a rookie for acting like a rookie in the playoffs. Um, but no, his, his build, 
His game is perfect for this Nets team. And it's almost, I liken it to like a quarterback, a rookie quarterback on his deal where it's like, you're, you're able to get this type of production from a guy that's making peanuts, right? Which then opens up the door for you to fill the gaps for your, for the team, you know, in other spaces, right? That money, the little bit of money that the Nets have can now go towards filling the roster as opposed to just, all right, it's just another kid on a rookie, I guess, deal that's just wasting up a roster space. Yeah, I mean, I love Kessler Edwards. You know, we were we hoped that he'd be really good. We weren't sure if he was going to have an impact right away when he was drafted, but he obviously surprised us all, was able to kind of come in and do some things the Nets really needed him to do. I think there's potential for him to be a really, really, really good role player. Like, you know, a high-level role player on a Dorian Finney-Smith, these yeah. sort of guys. Yeah, yeah. you see, it's he has the ideal skill set for what you want. You know, versatile defensively, can switch multiple positions, can make impact plays defensively, too. You know, he can grab a steal. He can get a weak side How block. awesome, do, I hate to interrupt, but I, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm being thought of, like, when we're talking through, you know, things, when you bring up sort of, um, that double block with Clax and Kessler yeah. Edwards was awesome. <laughs> that was, that was what what everybody on Nets Twitter wanted that that was just like another very small highlight that kind of gave us some hope throughout the season and even Kess I think you know the three-point shot was better than expected you know he started to fix his form a little bit he shot I think Justin what 35 percent from three which is a reasonable rate it was just very hot and cold in terms of month to month where he was you know peaking at one point and then hitting the rookie wall at another point but also offensively, I think he showed a little bit more promise on some things that I didn't think was there. You know, like he could attack a closeout, hit that little push shot, hit, you know, a mid-range shot here and there. I think obviously he's more athletic than I thought, uh, but he does need to really work on his ability to dunk the basketball because that was a real issue for him. He was rejected a ton at the rim, especially for a guy that has good length, too. It's not like we're talking about, you know, a 6'2 guard. So you know, Kess has a lot of tools. Like he could be the perfect role player for, you know, the Nets, but also just the current NBA. You know, just that size, the skill set, and everything he has is perfect. And this is, seems like it was a really, really good pick by Sean Marks. No, and that's, uh, I was going to touch on that as well. I think that's where Sean Marks deserves a lot of credit. You know, pick yeah. 41 for this guy is an absolute home run and a half. And I think Sean Marks has done a really good job of drafting with the Nets, obviously. You know, creating a championship roster, this could be a piece to it. And, yeah. and, and, but at the end of the day, if you're relying on, on rookies developing into something, you know, you'd, you'd rather have sure things in, you know, the, the rotation pieces that you do have. So, but again, he deserves a lot of credit for it. Speaking of that streakiness, I'm just looking through his, you know, month by month splits in terms of the three point shooting. And it is interesting. Yeah. You know, in December, you know, 38.5% after the three point line, five or 13 from there. You maintain consistency at the start of the year throughout January as well, 38.6%, 17 of 44. Dips in February where he said he hit the rookie wall, 11 of 39, 28.2%. But then bounces back big in March where he goes 17 of 35, 47.4%, and then finishes the season you know, going up 4 of 17, 23.5%. So that streakiness is, is evident. You're going to get that out of a rookie, but I think that what you look at is the fluid, the fluidity and the mechanics and the fact that he's 6'8 with a 6'11 wingspan um, is is just so goddamn tantalizing to what he can be with this team. Justin, are you more impressed or what do you think is going to be more of the swing skill for him? Because I think we discussed and you discussed this as well in, in recap pods about what is it going to be? Is it going to be the defense? Is it going to be three-point shooting? Because we saw some great defensive performances, individual plays, you know, his defensive game on Stephen Curry. 
But then he got punked in, in the post, as you sort of alluded to as well, you know, the physicality sort of thing. Even though he does have a good frame and, you know, a nice little mid-range shot as well can get some of his um, rookie, you know, brain fades can be a little bit frustrating too. But I think he's going to be hopefully good for the run. What do you think is going to be you know, some of the swing skills for him? Is it going to be the defense? Is it going to be the three-point shooting? Um, what do you see as being you know, a reason why we could see Kessler Edwards turn into a genuine piece uh, in a championship hopeful run? I think it's just that the consistency on offense, the defense is there. I mean, we saw him in that game against Chicago when it was like, I guess the first, well, I guess the set, what the set, the first big game of the big three, you know, the former big three, Katie, Kyrie, Harden, where Rest it was case. right. RIP, <laughs> but it was Kessler Edwards getting, uh, you know, dare I say, he was getting punked in the first quarter by DeMar DeRozan. I mean, DeMar was doing anything he wanted to second, third, fourth quarter. Kessler Edwards locked him up. And he yeah. locked up Zach Levine as well. He had some great sequences on defense. Uh, I think when the Nets played the Bucks, I think that first time in January, he had some pretty good uh, defensive sequences against Giannis as well. So the defense isn't what I'm worried about with Kess. You know, I, that's going to be there. Uh, he's athletic. He has he has great length. Um, his second jump is is really what stands yeah. out, especially when get when when jumping for rebounds. Um, also yeah, rebounder. He is, he is. And I think that's one of the underrated aspects about his game, but and a lot of it comes from positioning. Sorry to cut you off, Justin, but he does a really good job of getting himself in position, offense and defense rebounding. Yeah. And I, I would also say another good thing he's good at, uh, or at least above average in terms of like everybody else in the nets, um, weak side defense, weak side help yep. defense. Um, I thought he did a, as good a job as anybody, on this Nets team of being in the right place, you know, and, you know, every once in a while he got lost in, in his rotations, but a lot of the times he was right there, you know, on that weak side slide. So defensively he is, he, he's not polished, but I definitely see he, he has the potential to be an all defensive, you know, caliber player. Um, he just has those, those, those unique tools offensively though. Like I said, that's where it's going to be key. You, you kind of want to see that three point percentage up in like 38, 39, 40%, you know, like a, like a Robert. And Covington it was for a long Smith. stretch. If it wasn't, it was. yeah, it really was. And he was like a rookie leader in that, in that regard as well. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting. You know, you talk about the splits, right? You notice how his three point percentage went drastically. Well, his play just went drastically down once Kevin Durant went down yeah right because the looks weren't there right mm-hmm. and even when the looks were there you know it, it just it they just weren't falling right but the team was just all because combined you had patty mills out here running the point you had a disinterested Harden. i mean you had it was it was a mess right and his game kind of reflected it unfortunately um i know in my piece i put he only took 29 shots from the mid-range i thought his mid-range looked great he has surprising bounce like he just gets up off the floor on his jump shots um and it it worked from 14 to 29 you know very solid you know he's not he's not a cam thomas or a lamarcus aldridge in the mid-range obviously uh or kevin durant but you know it's there and i'd love to see him you know pull it out a little bit more um just to keep the defense honest right like he doesn't just have to be a, a three and d guy that can you know catch some alley-oop lobs too he can put the ball on the floor he can pull up from you know 15 to 18 feet you know he keeps the defense on and it just makes it easier for the offense because if you already know you have an elite shot maker in Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, right, and potentially you have an elite facilitator in Ben Simmons, right? Wow, look at that. Kessler Edwards isn't just going to be locked in the corner or locked on the wing. He can actually put the ball in the deck and and, and drive and keep the defense honest. So, Another thing he did pretty well, especially for a rookie, is move off ball. 
You know, he was able to relocate at the three-point line, understanding where double teams were coming from, occasionally had some really good cuts. And like I mentioned, sometimes when he was on, you know, weak side and the three goes up, he's he's crashing in and trying to get positioning for an offensive rebound. And we saw, you know, he didn't rebound the ball offensively at a crazy rate, but he was able to do a couple times is just like tip the ball off the opposing team and create an extra possession. And he, he defensively, like you said, Justin, there's not really much a concern because he just needs polish and he just needs lower body strength. He just needs to be able to not be moved by some of the bigger defenders because like we've talked about he has you know the wingspan and he has the frame to add muscle at a comfortable rate and he's athletic enough to really do defend multiple positions on the floor it's for me it's just like can he develop you know 75 percent of the joe harris package you know just be that three-point shot and then also the ability to just drive to the rim and finish some of those easy layups that are that are going to be there just because he's going to be the fourth or fifth option in every lineup he's in yeah, if you have lineups with Ben Simmons, Kevin Durant, and Kessler Edwards, that it, that front court just is salivating in a lot you of ways. You have actually good defenders on your team. You have three <laughs> awesome defenders, and all of them are switchable as well. And you know, you throw Bruce Brown in there as well. Like, it, obviously, you know, it's we'll see how it all pans out. But I, I want to see you know at summer league and in the offseason, Kessler Edwards just take forty million threes. You know, <laughs> let it fly, my guy. Get that Mark D'Antoni. Um, you know, he's just, so much better when he has a quick trigger too instead of hesitating absolutely every player is it's just like you know, your mentality needs to be I'm just going to shoot it like I, I don't care if I miss it like and I think that Kevin Durant has had Kyrie Evan the superstars are like you would much and everyone says it you would much rather go you know, 2 of 15 than over 4 you know, because it just shows you that if you're not shooting, you know, you're in your head. So I, I want Kessler Woods to, if he has, you know, some of those 22% sort of, if the volume is still there, then I'm going to be intrigued about it because I'm really comfortable with his form now. And there'll probably be some fine shooting around. And I think that the people behind the scenes, including Joe Harris, including some of the assistant coaches, you know, I had massive question marks about whether that three-point shoot shot would be translatable, but the mechanics look a, a, a bit more compact. And like Justin alluded to, you know, he's he's a big guy, so it's not like it's going to be able to get blocked you know, very often because he, he just jumps so much. And maybe that, you know, it, it, could it allow him to, I, I'm not sure. It could, I, I think it's a, a good thing in a lot of ways and it'll, it'll still get fine-tuned, but I just want to let it fly. Let it fly, let it fly, let it fly because I think that the offense is going to make the, the Nets such a good team uh, and the, the, the Nets' identity is going to be uh, predicated on offense. And if Kessler Edwards can just let the three ball fly, hit those straight line drives, you know, have a few dunks, get in transition, use his athleticism, I think he can be... I'm just super excited about what he can be because what he already is is, you know, we saw him get some of those postseason minutes as Justin alluded to and, and Nick, you know, touched on on the pods. It's just like it's more of an indictment on the franchise than on Kessler Edwards that the yeah. fact that he, he performed so, you know, subpar because, you know, the, the way he was handled, he could have been used earlier, you know, the, just sort of thrown out to the Wolves um, and to, to sort of just get eaten alive in, in a lot no of respect. Plan. No plan. It's just like... Kess, you want to play, mate? And it's just like, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah. I mean, if the COVID stuff never happens, do we get to see Kessler Edwards that much this season? I, I'm not really sure because that's where he shined. And I think it was, you know, he he had a, a big opportunity in that week, you know, against the Raptors and against the Sixers. Yep. Any final Kess Express thoughts, Justin, before we get to Killer Cam? Uh, let's see. My final one would probably be, what are, what are, what are your first thoughts on the lineup that is – Kyrie Irving, Kessler Edwards, Claxton, Durant, Simmons. That's five, I'm, right? 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's fine. Yeah, that's fine. Like what? Are, like what? Are, like if I if I said like, like that lineup's going to be on the floor at some point, like that combination. Like what? Is, what are your first thoughts when, when when that happens? I mean, that'd probably be the most versatile defensive lineup I've seen the Nets play. <laughs> in this, decade, this, this decade and they sure. have size there's not four million six yeah. foot two guys out there yeah i mean it would be incredible i mean obviously i think offensively i instantly worry about ben simmons and nick claxton yep. but d- defensively it just goes to like wow they're that, that's the most recovery speed the nets have had defensively without putting out like four guards ever. Like you're talking about elite athletes, you know, in Ben Simmons and Nick Claxton. And then I think Kess is probably just a step under that. And KD obviously moves really well for his size. And Kyrie's still a pretty good athlete. It's just like so much speed while maintaining size and versatility. And that's something the Nets just don't do. They also just don't play multiple guys that are 6'8 and over. Well, they don't have multiple yeah. guys that are six seven. Yeah. Well, they are. They're like six eleven. They're all in that can't... lineup. <laughs> oh yeah, or they're like you know sitting on the bench because they're Lamarcus Aldridge, Blake Griffin, and Andre Drummond, or James Johnson, or whoever else. So like having that lineup would be incredible for for a lot of reasons. Obviously, it would have its flaws, but man, I, I'd be super intrigued by just to sort of have just just to have it up your sleeve. And 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 I think that we've sort of said so much about this Nets team health is going to be such a such a big thing in terms of how successful the Nets are you know Kevin Durant how healthy can he be you know heading into his mid to late days Kyrie Irving and availability you know whether it's health or availability and obviously Ben Simmons is a a massive question mark also but if the the Nets and can have and even Clax as well Clax has obviously had, yeah. had some massive question marks around his health so fingers and toes crossed that the Nets just have you know 10, 11 guys that are healthy so they can be a bit more experimental, you know, with their lineups and Steve Nash can be experimental within reason rather than like uh, Justin alluded to at the start of the pod, throw three guys that are above like six, eight, but all of them can do bugger all and can't shoot yeah. and they're just statues out there. Um, so we will, we will see how that pans out, but man, tantalizing stuff. Yeah, I got one final thought on uh, Kessler Edwards. I think I'm the most confident in Kessler Edwards having his rotation spot next year in terms of having consistent minutes because of his skill set. I think you look at the other rookies, there's more question marks in terms of what their role is going to be. Even, you know, Cam Thomas, who's more talented, I think there's still questions on how he's going to fit and also what's going to happen with the rest of the guards because – you know, Cam's minutes were all over the place, especially post-trade deadline. So really confident that Kessler is going to play uh, a relatively big role in the rotation next year off the bench. Justin, do you think Cam is the most likely trade chip out of these rookies? Do you, that, because you know, that's want to upgrade at the wing, or Jeremy Grant or Miles Turner or wh- whoever else, you know, is, is rumored to, to head to the team. Do you think Cam Thomas is most likely to be included in the package, even despite... You know, he's pretty strong relationship with KD. Unfortunately, yes. And it pains me to say this. Um, but I mean, it's funny because I think Kessler has the most complete game out of all the rookies. But I mean, the upside for for a guy like Cam Thomas that can on any given night give you 28, 30 points a game um, is just it's just too tantalizing of a trade piece. Right. Uh, and if that's what it takes to get a Jeremy Grant type player then you got to do it. Right. Yep. And you know, I, I, it, it, it sucks because like, it was a guy like I've really rooted for, you know, since the Nets drafted, um, he, he, he's shown he, he's a bucket. Like we all know, like I, I thought he was one of the best 
pure scores out of his entire rookie class. Like it's a guy that could probably average 24, 25 points in the league, you know, once he gets, gets more time, right. He's, he's, he's very, very young, very, very raw, only spent one year at LSU. Um, so there, there's a lot of upside to him, but yeah, that that's, there's a lot of trade potential there, man. He is, if I'm a team looking to trade with the Nets, that is the first player I want in, you know, add, added into, you know, the mix. Yeah, I think, you know, you could argue he has, you know, all-star potential. He's a guy that could average easily 20 a game and he can give you that offensive pop. And I think that's intriguing for a bad team because they could just let him go out there and poop. Like he can just go out there and play. And his stats from January to February are really good. And you can see the difference in his play when he's given the opportunity to get shots up, but also find his rhythm in the game. Yeah, I think it's it's intriguing because... A lot of people upon you know Cam Thomas heading to the Nets were like it's the perfect situation for him to allow him to, you know, be more disciplined and take the right shots. He's not going to get the the same level of green light that he would if he were with an OKC or a Detroit or whatever. But now that he's had this season with the Nets, it's just like, well, would he be better elsewhere? You know, possibly because he is a great three level scorer. You know, he's also quite unorthodox with the, with a lot of the stuff that he does do, as Justin alluded to in his piece as well. If you haven't read it, guys, already, make sure you do do that um, at netsrepublic.com. He just he's just a, with the footwork that he does have, the floater, some of the, the mid range shots that he does have. I was the thing that I loved the most about his summer league, you know, MVP performance was the fact that he got to the line at will, and yeah. obviously that's just easy money, and that's where you see. Not just the stars do it, but the superstars do it. That's what made Jason Tatum and Paul George, you know, bona fide all NBA caliber players because they just got to the line and got easy money from there. And if Cam Thomas can do that, that's going to be, you know, a, a real big thing for him going forward, you know, from being like a, a sort of Lou Williams, Jamal Crawford type to being, you know, fringe all star, as Nick sort of alluded to. But he has a bag, and that bag is mighty, mighty deep. Uh, it's just whether. You know the, the lapses and and the inconsistencies um, are, are going to be able to you know be eradicated from his game where he can be playable because of you know he's he's got good size about him you know as 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 Justin alluded to he's six three six four um, but he's you know defensive IQ um, he's sort of you know ball hoggy tendencies I don't think we saw a lot of that this year I was actually you know pretty intrigued by some of the passes that he did make and the decision making that he did have. But in general, that's what you know the the DMO on him was before heading into Brooklyn. I think he's going to be a long term NBA player. I'm, I'm pretty confident of that. I'm intrigued though of the situation which allows him to hopefully flourish into being the best version of himself. And I just I, I, I you know some of my favorite moments from him this season. You know that Knicks game was absolutely incredible, um, and just the the budding friendship um, with him and and Cam Thomas was just a, a lot of fun to watch too. So. Hopefully he's a Brooklyn Nets and hopefully he is contributing to this team. But at the same time, we know that the best version of the Nets, um, <laughs> the Nets need a little bit more size. So if Cam's out the door, then hopefully he's he gets to go to a situation which benefits him and it also benefits the Nets. Yeah. And I think also it was a weird season for him because you talked about how he was kind of like a role player early on when he was first getting minutes. And then, you know, KD goes down and then it's January and February and Harden's in and out of the lineup and now all of a sudden we're giving him double digit shots per game and he's becoming more of a focal pointer. During that losing streak he was one of like the only guys who was able to kind of create for themselves so it was like hard I think for him to adjust back when everybody was healthy and also 
it's just like there's limited spots in the rotation depending on who they trade because he's not better than a lot of the guys there. And I think for him in terms of his like career outlook, his ability to defend and his ability to hit the three-point shot consistently is going to dictate a lot about his career from being a starting-level player to being a bench-level player or a player that's you know at the end of the rotation. I think his three-point shooting last year wasn't good he shot 27 percent. he shot a lot better in college and you saw the stroke it it doesn't look bad but you still need to knock down those shots and defensively there are some tools there are some limitations but a lot of it too is just like lack of experience and justin mentioned this in his piece but also like anytime things were not on schedule defensively cam thomas looked terrible like when he had to make that rotation or they're coming down in transition and somebody picked up his man and he's still picking up that guy his ability to adapt defensively was pretty poor last year yeah it was yeah it was it was and it's like it's things because it's i don't think it was a lack of effort like you know you have guys that just slack off on defense it didn't look like he was slacking off it just seemed like he just didn't know what to do yeah out there um his mechanics were not, not that great when he was closing out he was just selling out on, on, on you know flying by uh wasn't chopping his feet as much as you would like uh like you said just kind of lost in 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 his rotations and things like that it's it, it's tough right the nets are in a win now mode and, and cam thomas as much upside as he has in his scoring right he doesn't really do much else he's not that great of a ball handler he can get to his spot with his dribble yes but he's not the most adept he he's not somebody you you can say like all right run the offense for like a three or four minute stretch while Kyrie gets a break um defensively he's a turnstile right now so do the Nets really have room for a young kid whose only true ability is to score the ball when you already have two of the best scorers in the game right now in Kyrie and KD like how much of a necessity really is Cam Thomas and that's what eludes that that, that's what that's what goes to why he is so much of a, a trade ship right now yeah, um, and I mean, his efficiency is pretty bad too. Oh no, it's it's, it's bad. You know, it's, yeah. it's. I remember at the start of the season, it was like, yo, he shot. I think he started off the season like two of twenty six from threes. Like it was bad. I mean, I know yeah. in the article I said like he on a catch and shoot, he's shooting under thirty percent as well. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously you can see in his game, he's much better. He's somebody that needs a rhythm, right? Like yeah. he needs that rhythm dribble. You know, that little size up to get him get him going. That's why he was so proficient in the mid range, but look, you're going to need to hit your spot up shots, right? And, you know, when, when defenses are collapsing on Kyrie, they're collapsing on KD, and, then you know, potentially they're collapsing on Ben Simmons if he's driving the lane. Yo, you got to hit that shot from the corner, right? You yeah. got to hit that shot from the top of the key. You know, he flashed it a bit, right? In that Pistons game where KD went for 50, he showed his three-point shooting, and in in, I think in a, a Blazers game he did that too, but the consistency just wasn't there from a guy you know, who can, it's, it's crazy. He can score so well, but just can't score from past, you know, the three point line. Yeah. 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 And then I think as well, when you speak about, you know, if Patty Mills, if, if Seth Curry are, are going to be on this team, you know, they do exactly what you're sort of alluding to in terms of just be that sort of spot up guy and can also just have a bit more rhythm. They're obviously got a bit more veteran now. You know, they're not great defenders uh, by their own stretch, but they don't you know, necessarily die, you know, on screens and, and those sort of things. And they just have a bit more savvy uh, to their to their games on the defensive end of the floor. So it'll be intriguing to see how it does pan out. But we're all killer cam stands here on the Brooklyn Buzz, myself, Justin, and Nick. But any other thoughts, Justin, about the rookies, about the Nets overall before we finish this one up? Um, 
You know what? I'm actually, you know, I'm, I'm surprised at how well they were, right? Like you're not yeah. really, you know, when you're a team with championship aspirations, the draft is not really something that you're, you know, too keen on, you know, you're more likely to trade your picks to get role players to, you know, help, you know, build up that championship roster. Uh, but the Nets found some, some diamonds in the rough. And if anything, they've got trade chips, right? You know, maybe outside of David Duke Jr. Look, Daron Sharp is an asset. Kessler Edwards is definitely an asset. Cam Thomas is an asset. Um, so it's better to have assets than not have assets, right? Um, yeah. Will all of them be with the Nets, you know, at the parade next year? Hopefully. Um, <laughs> who knows, right? But e- each of them brings something unique to the team, um, which, and it's funny because they're all different positions, right? You have a guard, you have a wing, you have a big man. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's... It's something that it's been fun. It's been a fun ride, you know, you know, kind of growing with them uh, and just got to wait and see what happens. Yeah. I mean, you, you don't anticipate a team bringing four rookies in and then also those guys playing and developing throughout the season. I think that's a good indication. The season didn't really go well in terms of, you know, what was planned, but like you said, it was kind of just a a little bit of hope and it's always enjoyable watching young guys develop. That was like one of my favorite parts of, you know, the Kenny Atkinson era was watching guys kind of take that next step forward. And it's going to be interesting, you know, who takes that step and what they do, because now every guy is getting a full NBA offseason and that can make a drastic difference from a dieting and you know workout schedule and also just skill development because now this is your profession and that's your main focus so I'm intrigued to see who surprises the most I like I said I feel the most confident in uh Kessler Edwards but the other guys have some tools that they can work with and really take that next level and I agree with Justin too is I think you know one guy wasn't going to be on the team in terms of a trade it'd probably be Cam Thomas because he just intri- he can be really intriguing to a lot of bad teams. Yeah, look in in saying that you know Justin was alluding to you know a parade. I'm looking forward to the Las Vegas Summer League <laughs> parade. You know these four leading us to the chip that we've been all waiting for for so goddamn long. But no, nah, we'll, we'll see how it pans out for these guys. We all love the rooks uh, out in BK. Yeah, 100. Justin, always a pleasure having you on. Uh, where can the people find you and find your work? Uh, oh, they can find me next Republic. Uh, that's, you know, pretty much where I'm at right now off season. So not as much content, but you know, we're still churning out some things. I might have something else really maybe draft related or summer league related coming down the pipe. So, you know, just, we're just here all in that's net net, you know, obviously on Twitter, gender score Thomas underscore 24. Um, I haven't tweeted much about the nets recently, but you know, I'm 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 Ned Twitter's for, a toxic place right now. It is it is a toxic <laughs> place, so so tread lightly. But you know, we, we try and get through it with jokes and smiles. So that's all you can do, right? <laughs> exactly. Jack, always a pleasure. Big thanks everybody for listening. Check the buzz on all stream platforms. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. 
That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.